everything you've done in our lives, everything that you've given us, all the grace, all the kindness, all the mercy, all the patience. We're so grateful, God. I thank you that it all begins and ends with Jesus Christ, that you paid the price for us to be able to approach you and pray to you and talk to you and have you in our lives every day. And you sent the Holy Spirit to live in us and empower us, God. And I pray that that's what happened now. Um, Father, that you would receive our praise and receive our worship, that we would be reminded of the price that you paid. And then, God, that your Holy Spirit would fill us with power as we hear your word. <coughs> Excuse me, as we hear your word, as we get into truth today, as we see what you have for us, Father, I pray that um, that word would have everlasting power in our lives to change us, to make us look like Christ, to take the truth of the gospel and make it alive in our lives every day. So thank you for this time now. Sharpen us as we get into the word. Change us. In your name we pray, amen. Thanks, you guys, for the time of worship. It was a great way to start. I want to remind you, as you're going through uh, the uh, summertime here, that we don't get lazy with our spiritual walk, uh, that we don't take a vacation with growing with the Lord. Um, so we've encouraged you to be in the book of Proverbs. I think almost most of us probably have had a chance to pick up a copy of the Proverbs book. There's some more on the back table back there if you'd like to pick one of those up. Stay in the Word this summer. Uh, stay in Scripture this summer. Let the, the Lord continue. just kind of soak in worship and sit in the Lord's presence. Um, if there's something that's just eating you up prayer-wise, you know, some big need that you have in your life um, and you would like to continue to have prayer, we would love to have you here with us that night. There'll be people to pray with you. You that you can observe discretion, take my understanding, let it get itself into your heart. What is the purpose of Jesus being in our hearts? Colossians chapter 3. It says, you have put on a new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. That's the purpose of wisdom. The purpose of wisdom and the purpose of Jesus being in our hearts is that we would be recreated in the image of our creator. That's the entire point of this. So God, Jesus is looking at us today saying, listen to what I've got to say about this and you'll become more like me. Your character, your heart will be reshaped so that you'll look like I do, like you'll have more of my character in you. Verse three, gets, he just dives right in. For the lips of an adulteress drip honey and smoother than oil is her speech. So this, this proverb and several proverbs are going to have this person show up, this woman, an adulterous woman, a loose woman, a fornicating woman. There's lots of labels that it'll use. But there's this woman who is tempting us, someone, um, to act out in the text that's primarily sexually, but I think we're going to see some other things. So who is this woman? Who is it or what is it that, that uh, uh, this proverb is, des is describing to us when it talks about this woman? Well, the easiest plainest way to read the scripture is it's someone who is tempting you to sexual sin maybe i could change it now and in, in 2019 to something that might be tempting you to sexual sin 
That's the plainest reading of this text, right? This woman is someone who is actively coming after you for sexual sin. Now, ladies, you're like, I get a hall pass because this is written to, to dudes. No. You just flip it around. There's a man who has honey dripping off his lips, and he's coming for you. So whoever it is that is tempting you to sexual sin, now that could be a godless culture that's trying to draw you away from God. The world has a system that is set up that is ruled by godless people, godless ideals, godless values. And it, I think you could make an argument that Scripture says that that culture is actively being directed to come after us. That the world is being used as a tool by our enemy to come after us. So there is a godless culture that's trying to draw us away from God. An attractive tempter, who is this woman? An attractive tempter and the embodiment of foolishness. That's the other thing that's going to come out here. Not only is this person tempting you, or this thing is tempting you to draw away from God ultimately, but it's also someone who is absolutely foolish. And we'll get into that just a little bit as we go. This person, this woman, this thing lures both men and women. And she's exceptionally effective because she speaks smooth words. That's the whole deal here, right? Honey dripping off of her lips. Smooth words, attractive things that this person is saying to you. In particular about this sexual sin. Now, why sexual sin, right? If this, if this is uncomfortable for us, transport yourself back 3,500 years when this was written and how taboo sexual issues were then, and yet that's the person that the Holy Spirit and, and Solomon chose to use as, as the example here. So why is it this sexual sin that's being talked about here? Because it's one of the easiest places to fall. It's one of the easiest places for us to mess up in. If not in practice, then maybe in our hearts. Don't underestimate her power, and don't under, or overestimate your willpower. That's probably one of the bigger, biggest mistakes we make, is it not? We under, underestimate just how tempting it really is. Oh, I can handle that one scene. I can handle that one song. I can handle that one video. I can handle that one discussion. I can handle that one heavy makeout session. I can handle all that. And we overestimate our ability to say no, and we underestimate her smooth words and how sweet and attractive it is to us. You've got to run away from that which we'll also talk about as we get into this. So that's who that woman is. Verse 4, he talks more about her. He says her, she's got smooth lip, or smooth uh, speaking and, and smooth speech, but in the end, she is as bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps take hold of Sheol. She does not ponder the path of life. Her ways are unstable, and she doesn't know it. The very first thing we see here is this description about her words, about the words that she uses. Chapter 2, verse 16, we didn't look at this in depth, but chapter 2 says that she is an adulteress with smooth words. Chapter 6, verse 24, says that she has the smooth tongue of an adulteress. Chapter 7, verse 5, says the adulteress has smooth words. She is presenting a particular view of life to us. She is, pre she is presenting to you a, an alternate way of living, and she is making it as absolutely attractive as possible. Away from God, again, in particular in the sexual area, but really, I, I think you can extrapolate it out, expand it out to anything in your life, but she's making it sound just as good as possible. 
she is clouding, she's hiding what she's really presenting to you. There's really two things that we're choosing between. On the surface, it looks like I'm being given a choice between, I'm going to use some big words, asceticism or stoicism or prudish legalism. It seems like she's saying, hey, you can choose to never be happy, never be satisfied, always have a ball and chain around your neck, always have these responsibilities, or you can live in freedom, and you can live in pleasure, and you can live in happiness. These are the choices that the woman is presenting to us, and on the surface, that seems like that's what I'm choosing between, or maybe between those things and immediate pleasure, but in reality, what I'm choosing between is lasting life and pleasure and bitter disillusionment. This text even says death, removal from God, distance from God. This is what I'm choosing between. I'm not really choosing between temporary pleasure and temporary un unhappiness. I'm choosing between true life, real satisfaction in my soul, and distance from God and death. Those are my options here. She will present them as much less than that and in order for me to participate in that, I've got to convince myself I'm not choosing between eternal happiness, right? Lasting happiness and death. I'm not, I'm not going to make that choice. I know where I'm going to land there. So I've got to convince myself it's not nearly that big a deal. And she's telling me that all the time. With her smooth lips and honey dripping from her lips, her speech will start out sweet. And there's probably a short-term delivery of her promises, Right? I'm not going to say that every time you would indulge in whatever that activity is, that it's not fun or it's not gratifying because it is. So she's going to give you a short-term you know, payoff in what she's saying, but it always leads to bitterness, pain, and death. Always, always, always. There is no other option once you head down that road. Why? Because Proverbs 10 tells us that a babbling fool comes to ruin. She's a babbling fool and she doesn't know it. That's what the end of verse 6 says. She's deceived by her own deception. And she doesn't understand that she's, she's unaware of the fact that she's on a road that leads to destruction. If you attach yourself to her, you get the same end that she gets. She doesn't think through the ways that she's walking and how she's leading you. If you join that foolish woman... Her destruction is your destruction. Now again, you're like, well, I don't have this problem because I don't have any sexual sin. You just plug anything into that that you want to. Anything that is attractive to you that would lead you away from God has a short-term payoff. It will end in death. It ends in destruction. It ends in losing. We're going to talk, he's going to really delineate these things for us here in a second. She comes to you with these words. It all sounds so good at the beginning. It all sounds so amazing. She comes to you with these sweet words. They're flattering. She's very flattering to you. She paints a picture of sensuality, something that's, that's enjoyable, and it's very, very enticing. She looks at you, and she sounds so tempting. And that is exactly her aim. She is telling you what you want to hear. We're going to get into that in just a bit also. I want you to remember that. She's telling you exactly what you want to hear. She's appealing to whatever remnant of lust and illicit desire that still stays in your heart. And she's doing it in such a way that it seems like it's for your good. She makes it sound like it's for your good. You can win. Deception and lies. It's things like this. You can take that and nobody's going to know. 
You can have success and accolades and commercials and money. You will have thousands of Instagram followers, hundreds of likes on Facebook. You can sleep with them and be happier or happy. You can look at that and not hurt anyone and be satisfied. It's natural. This is what she says to us. There's unfortunately millions of examples that I could bring up. I want to bring up one. Does anybody remember the name Marion Jones, a track star? Is there a picture? Oh, good memory. In high school, she won the 100-meter sprint in state in California four years in a row. As a freshman, she won. Now, just think about that. She was a Gatorade player of the year for three years in a row. In 1992, she got a full ride to North Carolina to play basketball, not to run track. A full ride to North Carolina. Played basketball her freshman year. They won a championship. Played there three years and ran track. In 1997, she won the 100-meter world championship and the Athens World Championships. In 2000, she went to the Sydney Olympics. Three gold medals, two bronze medals, five medals in one Olympiad. In 2009, she played a year of professional basketball. She was the highest paid woman athlete at the time. More endorsements and more money per event than any other woman in the history of female professional sports. 2004, in the Balco trials, I'm not going to get into that, but there was a huge trial case that came out, federal court. During the Balco trial, she confessed to taking PEDs, personal enhancement um, drugs, prior to the Sydney Olympics, and there were people who said, I gave her the shot in her stomach. In 2006, she failed the drug test. In 2007, she admitted to lying under oath in federal court. She broke down in tears after that, after that court appearance. She was in a, a press conference outside the steps of the courthouse, and she broke down in tears, and she tearfully apologized. She said this. She said, What a great amount of shame. I stand before you and tell you that I have betrayed your trust, and you have the right to be angry with me. I have let my country down, and I have let myself down. All of her Olympic medals have been returned. She DQ'd all of those, vacated them. She returned um, some of her world championship medals. In 2006, she was completely broke. The bank foreclosed on her $2.5 million home in North Carolina. 2008, she lied to federal agents about check fraud and money laundering. She was sentenced to six months in jail of federal time. Are you following this story? It wasn't a one-off decision. This wasn't a one-time mistake. That's the other lie that we buy into. Oh, it was just once. It'll just be one time. It's how we prefer to see our sin. Just a, just a sin, in, just in the moment, a heat of the decision kind of deal, heat of the moment kind of decision. Wisdom wants to get in and change our knee-jerk choices the things that happen when we don't have time to think. Wisdom wants to get in there and cause our choices to be changed. From 1990, she was taking PEDs in high school. From 1990 until 2008, that's how long this story goes, almost 20 years. And in each one of those choices, she gained some money and some fame and some personal work, worth and some accolades and some friends. But at the end, she lost it all. 
Now, we can sit here from afar and go, yeah, Marion Jones, you're a bad person. You should go to jail. Or we can look at her and go, what? I've walked a path that's pretty similar, and I'm glad nobody knows my stuff like that because I've made some pretty foolish decisions along the way, not once, not twice, but over a decade, over 20 years. I've, I've made some bad choices personally, internally, professionally, whatever it is. And it happens and it just stacks up and it stacks up and it stacks up and she's telling you all along, this is for your good. Do this. It's cheaper. It's easier. It's better. You'll be happier. And you buy into it and you make those choices over and over and over again. It sounds good at the beginning. It always leads in destruction. It always, always leads to destruction. Verse 6 says that she's deceived. This woman is deceiving you but she's deceived and she doesn't even know, know it. And I think that's the worst thing. I think that's the absolute worst commentary about this person and these people that follow her is that they're deceived and they don't know it. They are sincerely self-deceived. They have bought the lie. You have got to know where you're going in life. You have got to know where you're headed. We have a tendency to just be blinded into kind of a, a stupor of living our daily lives. Whether you're in high school and it's just mundane, you're like, oh my gosh, when is this going to be over? Or when you get to be a young adult and it was cool for two years to be, you know, 18, 19, 20, that's fun. Then 21, 22 starts to happen. You're like, this is not fun anymore, (laughs) you know, kind of a thing. And that can get old. And then you get young married and you're excited and then that gets old. And then the tediousness, tediousness of life happens and just every day it's the same thing, every day, over and over. And you can just get drum down into the boringness of life and you are no longer giving any thought to where you're headed we have got to know where we're headed it's really easy to listen to this voice to this woman and get pushed and pulled and just end up somewhere i want you to listen to james chapter one he tells us to ask for wisdom he says james says ask for wisdom if any of you likes wisdom ask for it and how's god going to give it to you generously this is the next verse if any of you lacks wisdom ask god give it to you generously but when you ask you must believe and not doubt because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind that person shouldn't expect to receive anything from the lord for such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do we love the promise of wisdom but we really don't want to think about being double-minded do we It's this New Testament warning that echoes Proverbs chapter 5. Where are your feet headed? Are you thinking about the path that you're on? Or have you bought into the deception and you're self-deceived now? And you're just kind of like a zombie wandering through, walking through life, hoping you end up somewhere. You are a prime target for this woman. If that's you, and you're just wandering through, This woman is coming for you. You will listen to what she says because she'll promise you life and happiness, fulfillment today. We've got to know where our feet are headed. Verse 7. Now then, my sons, listen to me. Do not depart from the words of my mouth. Keep your way far from her. Don't go near the door of her house. Why? Because you will give your vigor to others and your years to the cruel one, and strangers will be filled with your strength, and your hard-earned goods will go to the house of an alien. And you groan at your final end when your flesh and your body 
are consumed. Stay away from the forbidden woman. Stay far away from the forbidden woman, like a wide detour from the other woman. Now again, we're thinking that whole sexual thing, I'm so glad I don't struggle in this area. What if that woman is food? What is food saying to you today? Does that change the story for anybody? What is food saying to you today? What is money saying to you today? What is entertainment saying to you today? What if it's a woman or a man? What are they saying to you today? What are your own feelings and your own temptations saying to you today? My advice to you and Solomon's advice to you and God's advice to you is to go down another street. Walk away. Get away. Run away. When I was in junior high, there was two ways to get to my house. I could throw a rock and hit my school. It was right down the street from my house. I walked there, walked home every day. There were two ways for me to get home. I could come up uh, pipeline, or come up central to pipeline, take a right, and get on to central drive and go to my house. Or I could go, there was a back way. It took a little bit longer. I don't remember the name of this street, but this street was Natchez. And if I came down Natchez, and I'm not exaggerating or being silly at all, that's where, I don't want to use the word gangs, that's where bad kids went after school to hang out, and you could buy drugs there or get beat up. Those are your two options. <laughs> if you walk down that street to come home, which was all within about a quarter of a mile of my house. If you went the back way, you choose to get either beat up or beat somebody up, you're going to join in or purchase drugs. Those were kind of your options to go that way. Came this way, you could just go home. I think that's a good illustration of what this text is telling us here. Listen, there's a way that might be harder. There's a way that might be more difficult. There's a way that might not be as pleasant, but if you'll walk that way, you'll get home. If you walk the other way, it is full of you thinking that it's a shortcut or that there's prettier trees or that you like to pet that dog through the fence, but you're going to get beat up and you're going to start doing drugs and you're going to beat somebody else up, you know. I mean, that's kind of these options that we're left with here. If you read this text and take it at face value, he doesn't play around. He doesn't go, oh, you'll have your heart broken. You'll be so upset for three or four days. He's like, no, you'll lose everything. You'll be destroyed. It'll crush you. And when you're dying you'll be filled with regret and sadness. The woman says, don't listen to that. You'll be the exception. You'll be the one who'll be happy if you'll just do it my way. Stay far, far away. And then, you know, I don't want to overdo this because I think you can get legalistic about it, but I do want to say this. Christians, man, your salvation costs too much your salvation costs too much, and the life of Jesus, the life that wisdom has for you is too precious to keep going down that same street and dabbling with that same sin over and over again. Get away from it. Your salvation is too precious. The price that was paid for your soul was too high for you to continue to walk down that street and play around with that sin. Go down another street. Verse 9. Or you're going to give your vigor to others. If you don't, you're going to give your strength to others. Your years will be cruel, given to the cruel one. Strangers will be filled with your strength. Your hard-earned goods will go to the house of an alien. And you groan at your final end when your flesh and your body are consumed. Sexual sin in particular, and we do have to come back to that. Sexual sin in particular is so dangerous. It's such a dangerous sin. What happens when you choose to indulge in sexual sin? 
It destroys the bonds of a family. And you're thinking, well, whew, man, again, safety. I'm not married yet, so it's not going to hurt my family. I can't tell you how many times I sit in my office and I counsel with people about stuff that happened before marriage. It destroys the bonds of family. It tears apart the most precious relationships that you have in your life. Spouses, fathers and sons, mothers and daughters. It perverts our understanding of love and intimacy. It makes people objects, things I use to get what I want. It sounds so good, and it's so easy to do, and it is incredibly destructive, and I think that's why the enemy uses this so much. It's easy, it's pleasurable, and it's absolutely destructive, and I think that's why he uses it. He gets the biggest bang for his buck when he uses this one. It takes everything from us. What do you lose? According to this text, what do you lose? When you give in to those voices, that sexual temptation, you lose your honor, that's what it says. You lose your good name. You lose your fruitful years. You lose your possessions. You lose what is dearest to you. It goes to somebody else. It's been awesome to see Tiger Woods back up on the top of the leaderboard here recently. We forget how quickly things can turn, do we not? Ellen Nordegren, his former wife, when they went through a divorce settlement for his gross, repeated sexual infidelity, she received $750 million and their children. And you're like, whoa, again, off the hook. I don't have $750 million bucks or kids. Stay away from foolishness. Stay away from the woman who would lead you astray. Stay away from what you think is going to give you a shortcut to happiness that's away from God. It is a lie. Whether it's sexual infidelity or something else, it takes and it takes and it takes and it never, ever, ever can give back to you what you give up to have it, ever. That's according to this text. And we see it played out on the, the screen in our lives, the magazines in our lives every day. Verse 15. Then he goes like positively, right? That's negative. Positively, drink from your own cistern and fresh water from your own well. Should your springs be dispersed abroad, streams of water in the streets, let them be yours alone. Then not strangers, uh, not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. And as a loving hind and a graceful doe, let her breast satisfy you at all times. Be exhilarated always with her love. There's a lot of, again, engaged and newlywed couples and they... They come six months later, a year later, two years later, and they're kind of shocked to find out that the thing, same things that tempted them before marriage tempt them after marriage. As if getting married was going to be the cure-all for the stuff that we struggle with before we get married. So what is the solution? If it's not marriage, just the sheer fact I put a ring on my finger and we sleep together, if that's not the solution, then what's the solution? The answer isn't hoping that your partner becomes everything that you wanted sexually, the answer is in you being attentive to loving your wife or your husband, to give your energy and your prayer and your efforts to blessing your spouse. That's the answer here. To remain faithful to them and to, be, to do everything that you can in your power to be a blessing to them. Again, I've talked about it earlier. You should have in your mind that you're coming to your spouse and you're saying to them, 
I want you to be satisfied in me. I want to be a blessing to you in, in every way possible. That's the solution for this, not just getting married. So what's the problem with sexuality as we talk about this? Sexual desires aren't the problem. Like all sin, when we act out sexually outside of marriage, or we act out sexually even inside of our marriage, all sin is an expression of pride. It's an expression of self-worship. And it creates, it shows itself in that it creates these unrestrained sexual acts. I want what I want, and I'm going to get it the way that I want to get it. That is selfishness and pride. One pastor said this, Sexual sin is unhinged human pride, rejecting the Creator in order to sexually consume others for the benefit of self. It is our prideful belief that, that when I'm free, which we are in Christ, that my freedom means that I get whatever I want, whenever I want, however I want it. What does this not mean? When we read these verses, especially in particular, you know, verse 19 and some of these other verses, it tells us to rejoice in the, in the wife of our youth. Guys, here's what that doesn't mean. It doesn't mean your wife's going to be young forever. It doesn't mean to look back and go, dang, when we were 25, that was such a good time. I really rejoice in the wife of my youth. I'm going to get another one. <laughs> right? <laughs> right? That's the only way to have a perpetually young wife. Trade her in. Right? So it can't mean that. That can't mean what scripture is saying to us. Here's what I would say it means, and I, I don't want to be super sloppy gross here, okay? But here's what I think this means. It means that that lady that you're sitting next to right now, and you're holding her hand, or maybe you're cold and angry at each other, so you want to stay away from one another right now, whatever, that lady you live with, She's still that same little girl you took to the altar. She's still somebody's daughter. She's still that precious young lady who came to you and said, I will give you myself. Rejoice in her. She has trusted you with herself all these years. Rejoice in her. She's the wife of your youth. It cannot mean that we move away from the thing or the person that doesn't satisfy us the way we want to be satisfied. You have to cultivate this relationship with this person and keep it exciting and electrifying and exhilarating. The easiest way for you to resist temptation, to fall into the arms of that foreign woman, that fornicating woman, is to cultivate that relationship that God's given you and to do it for their joy and satisfaction. Amen? Can we just say amen to that? So remove the sexual part of it. That's, a, that's an aspect of it. It is. But in all ways, cultivate this relationship so that it can be as fully satisfying as both of you need it to be. Verse 14. He says, I was almost in utter ruin in the midst of the assembly and the congregation. Look in verse 22. When he goes, he says, when he goes down his own path, it says, this man's iniquities will capture the wicked. He will be held with the cords of his sin. He will die for lack of instruction. And in the greatness of his folly, he will go astray. Look at the end of this foolish living. Sexual choices, indulging in other kind of love. Look at the end of it. Listen, man, it's shocking to wake up. 
after 18 years, 20 years, 25 years of living a particular way and choosing not to nourish this relationship, it is shocking to wake up one day and see that your life has been utterly ruined by foolishness. And what you're left with is regret and bitterness. Some of us are there now. We're not at the end of our lives so much as we realize I have been living like a fool. I've been chasing after women, men, something else that has promised me a shorter path. And I have worshipped that thing, that person, and I have given myself to that thing and that person. And it's a lie. Some of us are at that point this morning. Listen, what I will tell you is you can't go back. You can't undo what's been done. But you can, starting today, run home and run to Jesus, who is just waiting to redeem you and make you anew in every possible way. He will turn your future into a treasure, even if your past is a train wreck. Can we say amen to that, anybody? Verse 21, we'll be done. This one, like, should shake you to your, your boots. For the ways of a man are before the eyes of the Lord, and he watches all of his paths. Dope. <laughs> That's that dope moment, right? God is watching you all the time. So let me ask you this. What is your core, when you think about God, what's your core belief about God? What's your core understanding about who God is? Some of us have this, like the only way we see God. We read this verse and we think, judgment, daddy's mad, he's going to spank. That's what we think when we think about God's watching us. It's judgmental, it's harsh, it's cruel. God doesn't want me to have fun. You know, that whole thing. Some of us carry that understanding about God. That's our primary view of God. I want to switch it. Maybe not switch it, but refocus us a little bit. Here's the truth about who God is, right? God is loving and gracious and holy. He is just, and he's our Father. There are repercussions for your actions. There are. Some of them, I think, are natural repercussions, and some of them God brings them into your life. There are repercussions for our actions, and you don't sin in secret. That's the other thing this woman is telling you. Nobody sees, nobody sees, nobody sees. You don't sin in secret. God sees it all. But he's also watching you so he can strengthen your heart, so he can encourage you in your struggle, so he can give you the power of the Holy Spirit, because he died so that you can overcome the world. That's why he's watching you. What if you just flipped it around? God is watching your paths. He's watching you listen to this woman. He's seeing you struggle with your integrity. And every time you take a step toward righteousness, he's like, yes, here's some more power for you, right? Every time you take a step in faithfulness, he's like, yes, here's some more power for you. He is watching you so that he can strengthen you and encourage you. So we pray, we should pray prayers like this. God, let me hate what you hate. Do you? You're listening to that woman because, quite frankly, your values are the same as hers. That's why it's attractive to you. You want the same thing that she wants. So that means your inner desires and morals and, 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 and values have to change. That means you pray a prayer. This is Psalm 97.10. God, let me hate what you hate. Psalm 33.5. Let me love what you love. What does God love? Could you even answer that question? What does God love? God, let me love what you love so that when this woman comes, it's not even attractive to me. 
I could have walked down that road when I was a kid and gone the back way, and if some kid came out with weed or cocaine or whatever, I'd, it wouldn't even be attractive to me. Like, that wasn't my thing, you know what I mean? It wouldn't have been a big deal. I already had those beliefs settled, you know, even at a young age. Some of us need to get to that point. We're not settled in anything. We'll do whatever this woman comes and whispers to us. God, let me hate what you hate and let me love what you love. That's a huge part of walking away from her. And then, let me enjoy the pleasures of this world and praise you because you're the giver. And God, you're worthy of my praise. I want you to write this one down. This is awesome. Habakkuk. Oh, now you got to go find Habakkuk. It's actually a book in the Bible. Habakkuk chapter 3, verses 17 and 18. And I want you to have that in your head. And let me enjoy the pleasures of this world and then praise you as the giver of the good things in this world. And look that Habakkuk passage up sometime. Your idea of God has to change. He sees everything in your life. He sees every attack that the enemy's bringing your way. Doesn't that encourage you? What if God's watching you because he sees the attack coming and he wants to, hey, wake up, here it comes. Pay attention, she's coming. Listen, she's gonna lie, pay attention. What if God's watching you because he sees everything the enemy wants to attack you with? He sees every scheme that he has planned for you and he wants to preempt that. He wants to step in before that voice starts to whisper to you. And he wants to give you life and encouragement and strength before it even comes. This woman that we read about here, we'll read about her again. This expression of our enemy, we could call it sin or Satan, maybe our flesh, maybe we could even put that in there, quite frankly. Here's what I want to encourage you with, men. Satan has been watching us for a really, really long time. He's been watching humanity for a really, really long time. Here's what I would also say about Satan. I think he's actually highly intelligent. He's really smart. Now, he's depraved, and I understand that. And the embodiment of sin, if there's anything that you could just say, gosh, that's just pure evil. I get it. I get that's who this being is. He's depraved. He's demented, but I really think he's actually smart. He knows what makes you tick. He knows what makes you go, ugh. And he knows what makes you go, hmm. He knows. He's watched us for a long, long time. He knows your propensity towards certain sins. Have you ever noticed that? That he never tempts you with stuff that you don't want. Because it's not temptation, <laughs> right? You know what I mean? When you're three years old, you want more Lincoln Logs. I don't care about Lincoln Logs at all now. So he doesn't tempt me with Lincoln Logs. Mexican food now? Yeah, let's talk about that. So I think there's a bit of a customized approach to you. If you've ever read the screw tape letters, C.S. Lewis, you'll know what I'm talking about. I think there's a customized approach for you. Um, I think Job's another example. He comes after us in particular ways, right? Jesus is talking to Peter. What does he say to Peter? Satan wants to sift you like flour. Right? So I think he comes after us with these specific, particular kinds of temptations for each of us. But here's what I want to tell you about that. Listen, when you sin, this is going to be really harsh, and I mean it to be harsh. When you sin, you are average and boring. We've all read that story a million times, haven't we? When you give in to lust, boring. When you go to bed with her, for the whatever, seen the movie. 
every time you give in to that woman's voice, you're just giving in to what billions, billions of other fallen humans do all the time. You're not that unique. And again, I sit on the backside of these stories and I hear them, and they're like, man, I've never experienced anything like that. This, my story's so unique. Nobody's ever gone through what I've gone through. And I'm like, dude, I have a book of counseling sessions that has that. I just put your name in it. Your story isn't all that unique when you sin. Some of your details are going to vary, but you're all pretty much the same. Man marries woman. Man gets bored. Man gets distracted. Man gets lazy. Man gets undisciplined. Man walks down a very unspiritual route in his life. Man needs someone else, he thinks. Man gets enamored with someone else. Man acts out sexually. Man, wife, woman, woman's family lose more than they could ever imagine. Pain, betrayal, lack of trust, chase like dogs for the rest of their lives in that entire family. See, I've seen this story. I've read your story. Satan's read your story. He's done this to billions of people. It's boring, and it's very average. The unusual life, the exceptional life, is this. And I'm going to say at least three things about this. One, the sexually faithful person before marriage. Some of you are still at this point, and you can just put a stake in the ground and go, I will be sexually faithful to my future spouse, even though I'm not married yet. Any amens, moms and dads? You're still at a point where you can say, I'm not going to cross that till I get married and be sexual. That's the unusual life. You understand? That's the extraordinary life. The life of faith is the, is the life that goes, I'm going to live God's way before I get married. I'm going to be sexually pure. Secondly, the unusual life to be sexually faithful after marriage. Now, in our culture, that means a lot of different things, doesn't it? A lot. You can be sexually unfaithful to your spouse and never leave your office. You understand? This is the unusual life, the higher life, the best life, the better life, the wise life. Be faithful before marriage, be faithful after marriage. And then here's the next thing, right? So I'm just like, oh my gosh, this whole faithfulness thing is killing me. Here's what I would say. Here's the other part of being an unusual life. The person who remains sexually faithful to the same person once they get married for the rest of their lives in every way possible, and you're satisfied, you're fulfilled in your relationship with your spouse. There are some of us in this room, and we've been sexually faithful since the day we got married, but we are not satisfied with our spouses. We're not fulfilled in this relationship. That's the unusual life, isn't it? The extraordinary life. Not just that I live to the rigors and the morals of not having sex after marriage with somebody outside my spouse, but that I'm, I love this, and I'm fulfilled in this, and I'm satisfied in this relationship, and it shows itself sexually. That's the unusual life. Will you live a boring life of the undisciplined person, the unfulfilled person, remember the unfocused person? Or will you live the unusual, the extraordinary life of a fulfilling marriage with a faithful spouse? These are the two options that we're being handed today. Life, satisfaction, fulfillment. 
for the rest of our lives here that ultimately is met in Jesus Christ are temporary, temporary pleasures that lead us to sadness, regret, and losing everything. These are our choices. So what is the hope that we have? Because this is a hard road. This bit of wisdom can be really difficult. So what hope do we have? If you're a believer, man, you should rejoice because these sins are covered too, amen? Some of us walk in this room today and we're like, man, I have screwed up so much in this place, in this way. Is there any hope for me? And my answer is like, yes, grace is sufficient. It can cover even this, amen? It can cover these sins also. So you have the hope of that. Now here's what I'm gonna tell you. You gotta stop doing it. Stop doing it. Walk away. Go down another street. Cut it off. Quit. You understand what I'm saying? Now that may mean you're being tempted, but you keep putting yourself in a place of temptation. Or you're the tempter. And you're trying to lure somebody. Quit. Some of us, I need to tell you this, husbands and wives, start doing it. And I can explain what it is if you'd like me to. I don't want to, but I will. Okay? Start doing it. Sexually, emotionally, physically. Go see, go get counseling. There's nothing wrong with it, man. Go talk to somebody. We change. Our bodies change. Our minds change. Our emotions change. We're not 25 anymore, right? And sometimes we need to go get help. We need to get some kind of other way to get past this roadblock. Go get it. Start doing it. Repent and live in the fullness of marriage. There's a joy of the Lord that should be in our marriages, right? And in our families. Let the joy of the Lord come back into our lives. Do this hard work that it takes, believer. Jesus saved you for life in this area too, right? Isn't that awesome? He didn't say, I came that you may have life and have it more abundantly. Asterisk, I didn't mean sex, right? I came that you can have life and have it abundantly. That is comprehensive, even in your sexual lives. Believer, there's hope for you there. Unbeliever, you're here and you're like, gosh, this is a whole bunch of sex talk for church. What's my hope? You are not hopeless in your sexual sin. That woman will tell you once she gets you, you can't get out. There's no hope for you. This sin will always rule you. That's a lie. Jesus died on a cross to break the bonds of sin. If you'll trust in him, put your life in him, your faith in him, it's not necessarily miraculous, but there's something miraculous about it. He will bring freedom to you. God gives you a way of escape and victory and freedom. And it's not a spouse. Don't think, well, I get married, it's going to go away. That's a lie. Stop whatever you're doing. Stop until marriage. Call out to Jesus for salvation and for help. There's a way out. I want to end with this. Some of us are in this room and somebody has wronged us sexually. Someone's acted outside of our marriage. Somebody has abused us. And I don't want to make light of that in any way. It's awful. I don't know. There are other things I could point you to, but I do think somebody needs to hear this morning. You have to walk down a road of forgiveness. And I know that's, I know that's hard. You have to walk down a road of forgiveness. Forgive the way that Jesus forgave you. Forgive the way that he implored us to give. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. 
There is freedom for you from bitterness and pain, and there is hope for a fulfilling future. God, I pray that we would take this text and take it for what it is because it's heavy and it's hard, but it's also awesome and life-giving and encouraging. God, give us satisfying marriages in every way. We'll go through seasons. Lord, help us to see past the season. We'll go through times. We'll go through pain. God, help us to see past those things and be satisfying for each other. To look at the other person and say, man, I want to be satisfying for you. I want there to be joy in our relationship and to give ourselves away to that other person in every way. Nurture that relationship so that we honor you. Wherever we're sinning, God, convict us, cause us to stop. Your way leads to life. Her way, his way, temptation's way leads to death and regret. God, give us life even in this. In your name we pray, amen. Man, thanks for sticking with me. I know that was a lot.